We have all had painful events in our lives that can lead to depression, anxiety, addiction, or broken relationships. But here's a secret. It is not about what happened to us that causes suffering. It's the stories we believe about ourselves. Join us as we shine light on how to rewrite our stories, avoid the shadows of shame, and travel along the pathway to joy, love, and connection. It's the Finding Peace Podcast with your host, Amazon best-selling author, Troy L. Love. I would love to introduce you to Joel Green. Joel has been on both sides of life. He's been on the bottom and on the top, and his perspective is richer for it. His ability to relate to people from all walks of life is a direct result of where he came from and where he's going. As a successful man and former professional basketball player, many would look at Joel Green and define him by his successes. But the truth is, everything worth having is worth fighting for, which is exactly how Joel got where he is today. In addition to running pro-level training, Joel is the national director for Nike Sports Camps, as well as an accomplished speaker. He was honored to speak to thousands and deliver his own TED Talk. Please join me in welcoming Joel to the Finding Peace podcast. Well, hello. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Seriously, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Uh, tell me a little bit about you. I, I would say at this point, I'm realizing that I'm an interesting individual from what people tell me. Uh, I'm one that goes about life and just I, I just keep moving. I, I'll do something and I'll, I won't really celebrate it. I'll just keep on moving to the next thing uh, just to keep myself focused from and keep myself from being complacent and, you know, resting on my laurels, to be honest. But um, I, I've come from very humble conditions growing up in, in North Philadelphia. Uh, extremely humble conditions in an abandoned house growing up in that type of setting, graffiti on the walls, violence in the neighborhood, that type of situation. Um, but I don't regret not one bit of it. Um, it's made me who I am. Can you tell me, can you tell me more about that? Like, what was that like for you? It was, uh, it was tough. You know, I, I didn't realize that it wasn't the only way of life at time at the time. You know, I thought that was just the only way that was all I knew. Um, so it wasn't like I, I lived across the street from the better neighborhood, my entire neighborhood, which is, you know, the ghetto, you know, the hood, whatever the case is. And I, I still felt the struggle of it. Although I knew it was just a regular way of life. We wore donated clothes, you know, we had to borrow and get hot water from our neighbors at times, um, and put it on top of our heaters to keep the water hot. So I, I knew it was a struggle. There were times that me and my, bro- my brother were talking about a funny story the other day where we snuck in the middle of the night, we snuck to the kitchen to eat sugar. You know, like we just, it's, we got caught. And it, it, I said, oh, I didn't eat the sugar. And it was all over my face. You know, it was it was that type of situation to where we just, you know, we, we did what we could to survive. And my parents were amazing. They still are. And just helped us to, you know, persist. And teachers like, look, there's something on the other side of this. And that's what helped me to get on the other side uh, personally. Your parents gave you hope, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. How did they have that? That's a question that I've been looking to answer as an adult. And I've, I've been coming across some now being a parent myself uh, of a nine-year-old. I see how you just make a way without even considering self. You just make sure 
who comes from you was taken care of. And as a parent, I've become, I feel like I've, I've been a selfless individual my whole life, but there's a whole nother level of selflessness now that I, I exhibit that I don't even think about. It just happens. Mm-hmm. And I would say that's where my, my parents, you know, they're, they're ministers. So they, they preach hope, you know, they, they pass that on to, to congregations of people. It's their job. So they did the same thing at home with me and my three siblings to where they just told us, look, you're going to do well. We're going to do well. We're going to, we're going to get out of this situation. You know, I, I never forget when I was six years old and you know I witnessed the shooting and nobody else was there. And I thought I was going to get shot at six years old. I went home and called my mom. I was like, I don't want to live here anymore. I don't want to be here. I want to move. And she said, it's going to be all right. You know, I, I called her at work. She said, I can only imagine what, how she felt at work behind the desk, getting this call from her son. I'm on the phone crying, but they, that's my mom. That's my dad. It's going to be all right. And they're not just saying it, but they're doing things behind the scenes to make sure it will be all right. And you believed them. I believed it. I believed it. And I, I don't think it was due to ignorance, but mm-hmm. I, I, I could tell that my parents, even at that time, were about the words they spoke. And um, that's one thing I live by to this day. I don't say a word that I'm going to do something unless I truly intend to do it. Mm, that integrity means a lot to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things that uh, the listeners are going to learn more about as we go along is that basketball became a pretty significant part of your life. When did it become a significant part of your life? It, it became an interest early, you know, around three or four years old. Um, I just got into it, had my own Nerf hoop, you know, that type of interest as most little kids does. And fortunately, I came along doing the I want to be like Mike era. Mm. Right. And I wanted to be like Mike. I truly wanted to be like Michael Jordan. And I wanted to be his height. I wanted to be six, six. You know, I kept going. I'm, I'm I ended up being I'm six, eight. All right. So I man. kept going yeah. past it. But. <laughs> When I was five years old, I want to be like Mike. I saw the Gatorade commercials. I saw his shoes and just him on TV, his, his swagger, his language. Everything was just different about him from other players. And um, so the interest was, was there early. And I started playing organized ball when I was about nine. Mm. And, and that really changed things because it challenged me to, to get better. And uh, I've always been a competitor, you know, at board games. You know, we could be playing Sorry or Monopoly, you know, at home. And now I got a chance to be competitive at something physical. And I loved it. Mm -hmm. And just to kind of be able to take, I'll be honest with you, Troy, the anger out that I may have picked up on in my neighborhood, in the school, being picked on sometimes. And just for different reasons, I get to take it out somewhere as opposed to get in trouble for it in school or at home by fighting my brothers, which I still did. You know, I was the youngest. So I got picked on at home. too. I was the youngest of four. So the basketball court, it served as another savior for me, to be honest with you. Um, and once I saw that I was pretty okay at it, I said, okay, I, I can, I can do something with this. I, maybe I can make the team in, in middle school, you know, I can make the other team. And I just, I, I began training and I became pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that took you to some, uh, where did you go for high school? I went to uh, two different high schools. So I went to St. John Newman High School in South Philly. 
And then I uh, transferred out to Harrington High School, which is out in the Lower Marion Township area where Kobe Bryant went to uh, high school. And what did that do for your basketball career? Quite a bit. I mean, and, and when I was playing in South Philly, I was all city basketball player all, every year, my ninth through 11th grade year. And I made all state as a senior when I transferred out to a more suburban area uh, that senior year. And it just, each year, I just got better and better. And unfortunately, college just took note of it. Um, and I decided to actually go to military school um, when I was 17 years old. And it was the top rated. When I got there, we were number one in the country by USA Today for mm -hmm. basketball and for football. So we were, you know, we were pretty good. And um, that opened up a, a world of opportunity for me being recruited by Wake Forest, Clemson, ACC schools, and you know, just a number of schools, which was my dream. And, yeah. Um, once I got to that that platform, I'll, I'll, I'll say that it, I never looked back. I, I I felt like my improvement was was through the roof. Then you went to Siena College and you got hurt. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I, it, was, it was it was a journey. You know, uh, Siena is where I began. I tore my hamstring my freshman year there, so I couldn't even play. Um, number one recruit high expectations from them and obviously from me. And I had to sit and watch the whole team play the entire season. And um, the next year, the coach, he was a little disappointed in the fact that I couldn't play. He ended up recruiting over me, which is, mm -hmm. you know, it was a pretty messed up situation. I transferred out. And um, the NCAA said, well, hey, if you're gonna transfer straight to St. Joe's University, which is where I intend to go, um, they said, you're gonna have to sit out. Our rule is if you go from a four-year institution to another four-year as an athlete, you have to redshirt. I said, well, I just redshirted due to injury last year. They said, well, it's our rule. Mm. They said, the only thing you can do is go to a two-year institution, institution, like a junior college or a community college, if you want to play. I said, look, sign me up. I just want to play basketball. And so I transferred to a school in Texas called Paris Junior College in Paris, Texas. And um, never even heard of this place before. And I got in town. There's an Eiffel Tower with a cowboy hat on top of it. <laughs> and it, it, it was an amazing place. It was a different place. I'll say that. Um, the first place I ever saw a bale of hay actually roll across the street. I thought it was in the Western. And um, either way, I got there and we won a national championship. Mm -hmm. uh, and I wanted to be a little closer to home at this point. So I had to still do another year at the two-year junior college level. So I transferred to a school in Maryland called Cecil Community College and won another national championship. And, you know, I didn't even know until about four to six years after that, that I was one of like four people to ever went back to back but to do it at two different institutions. And um, so after doing that, I was able to get back to the division one level, got another scholarship and finished off at Ryder University and graduated from there. That's amazing. One of the, things that we talk a lot about on the podcast is attachment wounds and the top wound is loss. And so that was a loss for you, like that injury at the beginning. And a lot of people would have just given up, I guess. They would have said, oh, you know, okay, and here's the rules. And they would have just given up. What made you not give up? What drove you to keep pushing and continuing to have that drive to not give up? Curiosity, to be honest, um, I knew, I didn't know exactly in what way, but I knew something was on the other side of it. I knew that it was 
a possibility that I could even be better beyond it. I've seen other players get injured in the NBA and come back better. Mm. Um, again, speaking of Jordan, I've seen him. He broke his foot. A lot of people don't talk about this, but back in 1986, at the end of his second year in the NBA, he, he, he broke his foot. And he came back that same season and had 63 points against Boston Celtics, Larry Bird. You know, we talk about that playoff series, but he set out, I think, about 80% of that season. Mm. And I've seen things like that and just other players over time. I'm like, okay, what separates me from them? Nothing, you know, outside of my will to, to, to get better. So I just, I knew I was, I was curious. I said, okay, how can I recover from this? And I had a great support system, you know, at home, calling my parents, calling my siblings and Hey, look, I, this is tough. You know, my teammates were great. Um, and just, I just did my best to, to recover from it and bounce back and just, not focus on what happened, but what will happen. Where did that take you? Far. You know, it, it took me pretty far. Uh, again, I still have that same mentality. For me at that time, it, it got me another conference championship at Ryder, you know, my senior year. So I got three championships, cut down three nets while in, in college. It was a journey, four different schools, which sounds crazy to say. Mm. But, um, you know, it, it was something, I'll be honest with you, I was used to by that time. Um, I went to 14 different schools from kindergarten up to graduate from college. And my parents weren't in the military. So by that time, I knew that it's funny you said, you know, attachment. I knew how to detach myself Mm. and still keep moving forward, um, despite whatever may have caused the detachment. And it wasn't an easy thing to do all the time because I didn't trust people along the way because I just, I felt like as soon as I trusted somebody, I would be leaving them or they would be leaving me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't always easy, but um, thank God it happened and I made it happen. And it, it took me to become a pro. I became a pro in, uh, playing basketball. And that was that was ultimately my dream. You, and you made it, man. That's pretty awesome. I, I, I'm thankful for it to this day, man. I thank God literally every day for, for all that I experienced and, Honestly, what the game taught me, it, that's, that's the best part of it, man. You know, what, what the game has taught me, I p- apply it every single day in what business. Has, what and has the game taught you? It, it taught me so much. It, it taught me how to persist no matter what. You know, that no matter what can mean anything. It can be no matter what good thing happens, no matter what bad thing happens. Because good things can turn into bad things, too, because I've noticed for myself. I may have an amazing victory and I celebrate it too long and become complacent Hmm. and I progressively get worse, you know, so that even that good thing, that high can literally lead to a low. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've learned how to celebrate, but do it quickly and move on, move forward, Hmm. you know, and I learned how to lose, but now translate that loss into a learning experience. And I was just telling someone I was on the stage speaking and I said, look, I said, now I don't have losses. I said, I win some and I learn some. I'm undefeated now. You know, that's truly how I feel. If a, if a, a perceived loss occurs, I, I promise you, I don't feel the loss of it. I immediately learn from it. You, your, your mind, uh, like, you, you, you don't see that. Uh, you've, you've, oh, man, the, the words are not hitting me, but you, you're not taking that. You've done something with the way that you're interpreting it. You're shifting that from a painful experience into a learning experience. 
And um, it sounds like that's made all the difference for you. That's, that's, that's made all the difference, man. I, I recently wrote about it. I, you know, fortunately, I have, I have my first book coming out uh, and it's called Filtering, which is a method I came up with, which is exactly what you just said, to be honest, man. It's, it's me just extracting whatever I can for whatever I go through and just filtering that experience to say, okay, I'm going to get, I don't know why this painful experience came. I don't know why this good experience came, but I'm going to take what I was supposed to get from it mm-hmm. and have it propel me forward in some form or fashion. I'm going to literally extract all the good from it. I'm going to squeeze all the good out of the situation and I'm going to benefit from it in some form or fashion. Even if that situation was bad, I'm going to benefit from it. I have to. And I began filtering things as a teenager. I began using the terminology for myself about seven, eight years ago as I began speaking it. And, you know, I, as a teenager, I lost one of, my, one of my older brothers, tragically, out of the blue. And I had to figure out how to, I'll be honest, Troy, how to keep moving. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to. I don't want to keep moving. I, you know, it sounds very, very morbid, but I wanted to stop living a little bit. Absolutely. And I did. I did. Um, I would just lay down a lot. Uh, I wouldn't talk to anybody. My friends would come by. I'm sure my parents remember this, but my friends would come by just to check on me. You know, I was 17 or 16, I was 17 years old, just turned 17. And um, I said, tell them I'm not coming down. I'm not coming downstairs. And they would just be hanging outside the house and they would ring the bell some more. Just to, you know, no, we're going to, we're going to check on you. And I remember it got to the point where I finally went downstairs and I finally went outside and I cried. Again, I, I'm a, I was tall then. I was probably, I was already like six five, six six, And I'm like, you know, you don't want your boys to see you cry. But I went out there and just, I knew I couldn't see anybody. Because tears always would just flow out of my eyes. And I'm talking about sobbing. And um, I didn't want to keep living, man, as far as just doing my normal thing. I, I felt bad because I felt like it would be me ignoring my brother's death. Mm. If I just kept moving forward. But not realizing immediately that that was exactly what I had to do in order to honor him and say, you know what, Kev, I got you. I'm going to make sure I keep living my best life, you know, to show you, look, I'm not going to just let your, your passing be in vain and, and shut everybody else down. So um, it was a tough thing. I had to just take something from that experience and I, I began making promises to him, you know, him from the grave. And I said, I'm going to do better in school. I'm going to get, I'm going to get me a scholarship. I promise you, I'm going to get in that. Months later, I began getting multiple scholarship offers. I made an honor roll for the first time in my life as a 17 year old, two months after his passing. So I learned how to filter that experience and just literally extract strength from that situation that occurred. And it, it, it took me, it's taken me far. That's a beautiful story, dude. Right. Man. How much does Kevin still motivate you today? I can't explain it. You know, I, I, I'll put I'll put things into words, but it won't be the, the exact explanation of it. Um, I won't dare say it's impossible to explain, but the depth of it, mm. it would be very challenging to, to really have it hit home. Mm. But uh, he's the primary. I have two primary driving forces, my son, mm. no doubt about it, and my brother. Mm. You know, again, Kevin as well, he, he was the one that really 
really got me into basketball, collecting cards, Baytime card collector growing up. And he got, you know, me and my other brother, I'm talking about, we, we collected cards. We used to study the backs of them. We knew where all the players were, were from. We knew their hometown, the date of birth, and we knew their college. And we used to test each other. We used to study cards. We'd give each other 10 minutes, a stack of cards, and say, all right, let's come back and test each other out. And so he helped develop the interest in basketball and just, you know, different guys around the city. He would tell me about this guy, Rashid Wallace, you know, when I was growing up. I'm like, oh, man, he ended up going to North Carolina and becoming an NBA champion. And he got me into the game. So, you know, his, his mentality – his toughness, a really tough guy. He made a name for himself on the court as well. And so it, it meant a whole lot to me. So his, him physically not being here, but still internally being here with me is, in a, is a major driving force. Uh, people that know me close knows that I bring him up often. I only have one tattoo on my arm, on my whole body. It's, it's him. It's his name. And I said, that's, that's, that's all I need. And I look at it from time to time now. It sounds corny, but just to kind of get some extra drive. Um, so he's a, a, a great motivator for me. He was a motivator when he was alive for me. I mean, that was his thing. It's never stopped. That is amazing. Thank you for sharing that. No problem. So you you were in you were a professional in basketball, and then you made a really tough decision. What was it? Step away, man. That's that's that that was an extremely tough decision. Obviously, you can hear that I love the game of basketball. Yeah, you know? uh, it's it's obvious. So making that choice was it was difficult. It was difficult, and I, I'll be transparent. You know, I, I, it was a sacrificial decision, uh, but also one of interest as well because I got my business license when I was playing in Europe. I knew that I wanted to start my own company, that I wanted to do my own thing sooner than later. I didn't know when. I didn't give myself any deadline or timetable, but I knew I was going to do something. I had all these ideas. Even when I was in Europe, I ran about two or three companies that kind of flopped. But I was saying, okay, it's something I'll be able to do. So I'm going to discover something soon. And I was engaged at the time as well. And I said, okay. It's, it's tough. She was back here working. I said, I don't want her to have to follow me all over the world. I'm in a different country playing every year. I said, okay, let me go ahead and, and try to domesticate myself a little bit, right? I said, let me be back home and see if this is possible for me. And I went through depression. I went through depression. I didn't realize it'll be that hard of a situation to adjust to. I figured, okay, I'll be fine. You know, I'll be a married man. I'll, you know, I'll be happy. I'll have the support I need. But it added to a struggle of things and the marriage struggle, you know. And I just, on top of already being depressed and having them not truly support me in, emotionally, you know, in the ways that I, I felt that I needed, it really hurt the marriage. And, you know, even over time, the marriage began to fail and, you know, end up leading to divorce. You know, while I was working my hardest just to, to build up the company that I did start, I said, okay, I'm going to work on this at home, you know, and it wasn't easy, but I knew it would work out. I knew and it was hard to get the other party involved and have their belief system be the same as mine. It was my dream. So I understand. But um, it was just, it was a tough call, man. The, the, the level of anxiety I felt was different. And it was the first time I ever experienced anxiety. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know I was going through it until the doctor 
he, ch- he chuckled when I said, I said, I, I have this feeling right here. And I said, I kind of feel like my heart was kind of racing. Sometimes. I'm describing literally what anxiety is. He said, do you know, you know what you're going through, right? I said, what are you talking about? No. He said, anxiety. I said, no, I, I, I don't have anxiety. You know, I'm like, I'm a pro athlete. You know, I'm a tough guy. I can handle high pressure situations. Mm. He said, no, man. He said, that's what you're going through. And here's what you need to do. And um, once I accepted it, that's when I improved from it. Mm. What's been different since you accepted it? And what did you do when, two parts to this question, what's been different since you accepted it? And what did you do when you left pro basketball? Well, I mean, so the thing that's been different since I accepted it was, okay, I'm human, number one. You know, I, I was always trying my best to be superhuman. You know, being a pro athlete, you're put on a pedestal that you don't even put yourself on. I'm just being, you know, so it's like fans will do it. Coaches will do it. Teammates will do it. And it's like you, it's not that you start to believe it. No, you do. You start to believe it and you start to like live it out to maintain that position on a pedestal. And you start to feel superhuman in some capacities, not in an arrogant way, but you just feel high on yourself in different arenas. And so for me, it, it was a it was a struggle to accept, like, okay, wait, come on. I can step to the free throw line and with zero seconds on the clock, make the free throws to win the game. And I'm like, I'm going through anxiety with this. It, it's, you know, it's not even sports, but once I accepted that that's a natural thing that everyone experiences it, it made me feel more comfortable and less insecure about it. And I accepted the insecurity and, um, and stopped trying to be perfect. Mm. And that's that helps me to this day to where I, I embrace my imperfection and I express them to other people so that I don't become so insecure about it like as if I'm the only one in the world going through it. Yeah. And so that helps me to this day. And um, it led to me really furthering my company, which is what I was doing when I started playing. Uh, when I created Pro Level Training, um, which I'm the CEO of, CEO of today, and um, we're in, we're going into year 12 of business, which is amazing. I thank God for it because I, I know so many businesses. It's hard to reach year three, mm-hmm. so you know we we I started the company training some athletes, and you know uh, Nike Sports Camps caught win and. They saw the way I was training the athletes, not just training athletes, but I would really, I call it pro level training for a reason. I want to give the kids, the youth, a glimpse, a sample of what it takes to get to the pro level. And also, hey, I'm going to give you a preview of what we actually do on that level because you may not be fortunate to make it there. So at least you get to experience it now, you know, just to have some fun with it. So that's what I began doing for kids. Nike, you know, Nike Sports Camps called when they appreciated it. And say, okay, let's let's do something. And we, you know, we put on our first pro-level training Nike camp in New Jersey. And then it just, I'll just say, fast forward, it took off. We're, you know, we have about 60 plus camps around, around the country and in Canada. You know, we, we have about, we're in about 16 states, um, close to 40 cities across America. We, we just begin to grow. And um, I dare say, due to the quality. And that's, where, that's what I preach to our team all the time. That's Let's, let's have great quality. We'll end up having great quality after the fact. And you're blessing a lot of kids' lives in doing so. That's the best part about it, man. That's the best part. It's it's basketball and different sports. We do different sports. We have about five different sports, track and field, volleyball, soccer, 
multi-sport basketball. There's a number of things that we cover, but it's all a front. You know, it, it's a front to get into the minds of these kids. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure we're impacting them that way. But hey, let's let's put something interesting in their hands. You know, let's let's put this basketball, this volleyball in their hands. But let's make sure we're strategic and in, intentional about throwing nuggets at them to make sure they know how to persevere in life, not just in sport. Let's make sure they know how to treat one another as teammates because they're going to be coworkers one day. Mm. Let's, let's make sure they know how to treat us as coaches because they're going to be called. We're going to be bosses one day right. in their lives. Let's know. Let's make sure they respect the referees. They're going to be called officers one day. So these are the things that we really are strategic about when we're working with these kids, working with the youth, because it's such a developmental time period. Mm. One of the concepts that you talk a lot about is childhood imagination. Can you say more about that? Absolutely. I mean, that's, 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 that's an area to where when I'm talking to adults, I bring it up more than I speak to obviously you a lot, you know, within my business. But I love speaking to adults because I, I love to bring us back to where we first begin to love life. I'll put it that way. And we love life when we utilize the, our true gifts, the gifts that naturally were innate in us, our imagination. That's a, it's a gift. And the reason why I phrase it as childlike is because when we were children, it, impossible didn't exist to us. Like we, we would, if we had to figure out a way to get to California from Florida, or if we had to get to the moon, and our parents had drawn me up a blueprint, we would go get our Crayola markers, our crayons, and we would draw up a blueprint to get to the moon and we truly believed that it would work. Right. And I dare not call it ignorance, but I call it, you know, belief. I call it faith. Like, okay, I, I used my imagination. I drew up a blueprint. I drew up a plan and it's going to work. And I love that about children and the fact in the way that we used to believe in ourselves but the, what I tell adults all the time is just imagine if you brought that childlike imagination back, but now not having that, let's say ignorance, now having the education that you have, the resources that you have, and you tie those two together, it's what could be created is amazing. But we, we've thrown away that childlike imagination and we only try to rely on our resources and our education and we don't believe in that imagination anymore. So that's why we don't get to the next level of where we could be. Mm. So I, I love discussing the, you know, the, the usage of our minds in regards to what we're trying to build, because man, if we can just bring it back and tie it to what we now have, we could be amazing. Absolutely. What's the direct correlation between the mind and how people operate? It's, again, it's, there's so many things, man, as far as I truly believe that we move in a capacity into which we believe could be moved. You know, we move the mountain in, in a capacity that we believe the mountain could be moved. You know, if it really depends on how you feel something could can come about. If you don't feel like it can come about all that much, then your motives will show that. But if you truly believe in yourself, again, exercising the imagination again, if you really see it, if you feel like, okay, I've envisioned this to myself to the extent to where I actually feel it, you know, that's what it's an exercise that I do for myself to where before I even move towards something great, I sit still, I promise you, I sit still and I imagine it to the point to where I feel like I already have it. Mm. And this is no metaphysical jargon. You know, this is, this is legit me, you know, feeling like, 
I already possess the thing that I'm about to go after. That way I move about with a spirit of expectancy as opposed to just hope. Right. You know, like there's uncertainty and hope. Like, I hope I get it. But when you expect something, that's different. You know, like, okay, I just, this is mine already. I deserve it. Yeah, you're manifesting, making thank, it happen. Thank you. Exactly. That That's it. That's it. And that's how I, you know, I really believe, like, that correlation is so strong to where when you really believe that something, I dare say, will come about, mm. the way you move will be completely different. One of the things I read is that you have a life lesson number one, which is don't place your end result in somebody else's hands. Why would we not want to do that? Accountability. It, it, we, we don't want to hold ourselves accountable for so many reasons. I mean, we as people, I won't, I won't even say by default, but over time, we enjoy blame shifting. Right. We, we, we love to not hold ourselves accountable for our own situations. And that so is so detrimental to who we become, who we are um, and what we desire to have, because we always have an, an out. And that's not a good thing to always have. You know, it, it, you have to have a mentality of burning your ships, burning the, you know, the bridges that you just crossed over many times. Say, look, no, I'm the. I'm the one that's going to cause this change. I'm going to be that change that we want to see. Just like Gandhi said, you know, mm. it's going to, it's up to me as opposed to me saying, okay, I'm going to try this, but if it don't work out, I'm going to blame that person or I'm going to blame that, that circumstance. I'm going to blame that situation. And that's the problem many times to where I won't dare place my end result, what I desire to have in somebody else's hand say, oh no, it's my, it's their fault that I didn't get what mm. I'm pursuing. If I'm pursuing it, I have the power to actually get it done. And if I don't get it done, I have to look back at everything and make an adjustment and still try to get it done. Yeah, because blaming doesn't really get you anywhere. No, it, it literally gets you nowhere. It, it'll give you pleasure for a moment, but you know inside that conviction is telling you, you know you could have did better. Right. One of the things that I don't know how recently it was that you did this, but you had set a goal that you were going to read 30 books in 30 weeks. How did that change your life? And what were some of the books you read? It was interesting, man. It was interesting. Uh, There's a lot of different books. I ended up reading 31 in the first 29 weeks. So, you know, at the end of the 30, it was, I just got done 31. I said, okay, all right, cool. I did my job. And um, I just, it was an interesting period. It was, this was during the first shutdown, you know, we had as a country. And I had so much time on my hands, man, as we all did. Uh, a lot of creative time. You know, I just began learning so many different things. And I wrote out a list of things that I wanted to learn. So after I wrote out this list of things, it wasn't all goals, you know, per se, but I said, okay, I want to know about this, I want to know about that. I said, well, how am I going to learn all these things? It was a lot of stuff I wrote out. I said, okay, well, books. So I said, and I wrote out so many different things, Troy. So I said, okay, let me give myself a challenge to make sure I, I actually learn these different areas. I said, okay, let me see if I can read X amount of books per, you know, per month. Mm. And I said, okay. Once I wrote that down, I said, well, wait, this is looking like I may have to read a book a week. And I said, okay, let me give myself a goal. And just after I was, I was, I'll be honest, I was online just looking and adding all these books to my cart. <laughs> and I, 
dude, I had about 50 books in my car. Oh, wow. And uh, I said, okay, I'm going to narrow this down. I'm not willing to commit to any more than like six months of this thing. I said, let me see if I can read about, you know, 30 books in 30 weeks. I'm going to pull it off. And I wanted to hold myself accountable for it. So I put it online. I told people what I'm about to do. And I even said in the post, check in on me just yeah, to make sure. Right there. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm telling a lot, thousands of people, look, check in on me, make sure I'm reading. Mm. And uh, I know me, I won't dare put that out there. If I don't really want to be held accountable. Like right. if I fall behind, you know what? I'm a, I'll be up till 3 a.m. to catch up for the mm. next six days. If I had to the next four or five days, if I have to, but I don't want to let those others down that I bought into this circle. You know, mm. I did that on purpose, you know, cause I, I wanted to be lifted back up if I fell down. Yeah. And um, that transparency helped me out a lot because it made me compete with myself as I did on the court to, to, to execute. And um, there were, again, so many books, you know, the power of the subconscious mind was one of the, you know, one of my favorites that I read, Joseph Murphy. I believe is uh, the author of that. Um, the ABCs to Success by Bob Proctor. Um, the Power of Broke, from what I remember from uh, Damon John uh, from Shark Tank, FUBU creator. Uh, so many books, so many books that really just added to, to who I am to this day. Um, it, it was a transformative time, man. That, if you've ever seen you know, a movie that had a time lapse, right? Uh, it's a movie called Limitless that comes to mind mm -hmm. where he was, he took, he took the pill that, you know, added to his ability and he started reading all these books. And it was a time lapse thing. So he used to see him opening a book, closing a book. And by the end of that time period, he was so intelligent, so smart. I promise you that I felt that same way after 30 weeks passed. I felt like it was a time lapse to where I just, I had to, we to take this information in some form or fashion. So I began creating, I created a segment called Woman and Motivation. And I just began spewing out just different, this, this, this information that I had, I had to get off my chest and out of my heart. And um, it was an amazing time, man. Man, that's really inspiring. Makes me want to go do it. <laughs> Look, I, I'll give you the schedule for it, man. I, I got it. I got it. <laughs> You you talked a lot about Michael Jordan and how cool it was that he was on the Wheaties box. And I can't mm -hmm. help but notice that there's a Cheez-Its box. <laughs> right, 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 right back here. I mean, yeah. that was, it was a drink. Look, here's the funny thing. You talk about manifesting, man. And it wasn't even intentional, but I guess it was already within my subconscious. Who knows what? But when I was younger, my mom, you know, she picked up a box of Wheaties that had Michael Jordan on it. And I will never forget. I remember literally looking at the box and saying, oh, man, I'm going to be on a box one day of Wheaties. But, you know, um, I never forget. That was one of the first thoughts I had when I saw that I was on the box of Cheez-Its. I didn't know it was going to happen. Mm. Uh, my son saw it in Target. You really? know, we were in the store and he was, I said, all right, go find yourself a snack. Right. So he went over to the next aisle and he sprinted back over. He's about three at the time, three or four. He sprinted back over. He said, Daddy, Daddy, you, you're on the orange crackers. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? I said, go, go get a snack in so we can go. We got to leave. He said, it's you. You're on, a, you're, you're on the orange crackers. I said, just hurry up, man. I said, go get some, some cookies or something. <laughs> so he takes off. He 
comes back with this box in his hand. He said, look. And I thought it was like Scottie Pippen or somebody. Because people used to always tell me, I look, I'm like, okay, it's not going to be me. So he brings me this box back. And I look at the back. I'm like, whoa, I did take that picture before. You know, because I, I, when I stopped playing, I, you know, I, I got into the injury, in, in, industry of sports and fitness, modeling and acting and mm. did some commercials and, you know, TV and stuff like that. I'm like, wait a second. I took this picture four years ago. Four, so I wasn't thinking anything about this at all. I was in awe, man. I'm like, this is, so I walked over to the next aisle. There's a wall. Oh my gosh. Me. It was, it, it was, it was weird. It was, I was weirded out, but I was so hyper to say, I'm like, well, this is me, man. You know, selfie, you know, just, it's just, this <laughs> weird. And, uh, but it, it was such a cool time, man. Just to realize like, wow, when I was eight years old, mm. I said, I want to be on a box of Wheaties and you know, it wasn't the orange box, but I made the orange crackers. You know what I mean? So yeah. it, it's, it, it worked out. Full circle, brother. That Full circle. Exactly. So awesome. Well, one of the things I do at the end of the interviews is I ask a series of questions. Not that I haven't been asking you questions the whole time. <laughs> we call them the speed round questions. I don't know why I call it that because it's not about speed. It's just a series of questions. So you ready? Let's do it. Okay. What's one thing about people that would surprise them if they knew it about you? They have a, a bone of perseverance in them. And I feel like a lot of people don't believe it. They think that when things get tough and they get emotional, that there's nothing beyond that. Mm. Uh, but they, they have the ability to take one more step. Mm. I, I wish they knew it. We've all faced a major decision in our lives that has resulted in us choosing to take a left turn instead of going right. When were you faced with such a dilemma and how did that work out for you? I'm sorry, you said um, just choosing the left yeah. instead of going right? Yep. Yeah. Um, kind of the road less traveled. Okay. I mean, we, it's. I feel like in life we, we choose the convenient wrong over the, the the true necessary right um and that it, it worked out in a negative way for me you know by taking the convenient route as opposed to taking that route i knew i should have taken uh but i knew the easier route would be to go left and it came back and bit me in my behind and mm. didn't do it again i said okay i I'd much rather struggle by taking the, the correct route as opposed to conveniently taking that wrong route that's going to that I'll regret. Mm. So you read 30 books before. What book are you reading right now? Um, what is it called? Uh, think, think Like Water? No, not Think Like Water. What's the name of it? I just ordered it. Um, upstairs. It's, I forget the name of it. I literally just ordered it. And that's, that's my, I have a problem, look, by the way. I I have books like I told you. I still have a list of probably sixty plus books in my in my. Uh, I have a book cart uh, or list rather, and I'll just say, all right, cool. Let me order that one now and have it sent yep. to me. I didn't even begin reading it yet, but um, uh, it's stink and it's something is water in the cover. Really nice looking book. It's a white book. It has like a drop of water on on the cover. That's what I intend to read next. But um, I took a break actually from reading for the last month and a half. I had to finalize my book. Yeah, um, so, when is your book coming out? Uh, in September. It's September 6th is the tentative release date. 
Um, I'm super excited, of course, for that. And um, it's called Filtering. Filtering is, is the title of the book, The Way to Extract Strength from the Struggle. And uh, like I said, it's going to be a really impactful book. We have an editorial review already on it that blew me away, to be honest. Um, so that really gave me insight on how it'll be received. Um, so I felt good about that. But, you know, I told myself, if I'm going to finish this thing up. I got to step away from reading, which is yeah. it's, it's a pastime of mine that I love because it just it settles me. Um, but yeah, so I'm excited to, to release our book and it's going to be great. I can't wait to read it, man. When have you felt the most alive? Oh, man. Felt the most alive. That's a great question. Felt the most alive when I'm, again, that whole manifesting side of things. When I'm seeing what I believe come to life, it's like, whoa, I saw this and it's happening. And it's, it's a great feeling of knowing that literally just your thought is turning into something. Mm. You know, that thought is literally becoming a reality. It, it's a different level of fulfillment mm. and it adds to your faith of self. Mm. That's how I look at it because you think of something and you all of a sudden it's beginning to happen. That carries over to the next pursuit. You have greater faith in yourself. You know, you can believe in God. You can believe in whatever your religion may be, your higher power. But you have to have a great level of faith of self as well. You have to have it. Um, it adds to you, man. It's an amazing feeling. I feel alive when I see what I work for coming to life. That is an amazing feeling to envision and then create. It's amazing. It's amazing, man. If you were going to spend the rest of your life on an island and could only bring one item of personal meaning, what would it be? You said one item of meaning? Mm-hmm. The Bible. I'm going to need it. Yeah. What would make that? What? Why would you pick that? Because I'm going to go through some rough times there, I'm pretty sure. You know, if, I'm, if that's all I have, I'm going to need as much encouragement as possible. And I feel like every book that's ever been created, all the principles of every book, they're in the Bible. You know, if, if you really break the Bible down, the, the principles, they're in there. And uh, I'm going to need as, as much. I'm going to need to see difficult situations and read about how they turn into good situations. I'm going to need everything I can. So the Bible would be that possession for me. Um, it wouldn't be a video game system. It wouldn't be anything like that. It, <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be solitary. I wouldn't, it wouldn't be cars. No, I, I give me the Bible. And uh, I feel yeah. like reading that, I'll even be able to create other items. Mm, that's a really good answer, man. Name a person or a teaching that has had a profoundly positive impact on your life. Man, this, this all right. So there's two different coaches, but I'll pick one right now. Uh, the, the coach, when I mentioned earlier, when I won the second national championship, his, he was super intentional, very intentional about principle um, and toughness. He, he, he showed me and taught me that I had a whole nother level in me that I didn't know exist, I'll be honest with you. Um, he helped me to reach my threshold. He pushed me through it. I, I, mm-hmm. Many times, literally, pushed me through my threshold to where I was ready to just break. Mm-hmm. Um, but it made me such a different, it, it brought the beast out of me that I didn't even know existed. And he would tell me like, you know, 
you can only see that beast when you when you're giving your best. And um, you know that he taught me a whole lot of things. The principle of one more. You know that was our that was our quote for the year. This was back in 2005. One more. We was all right, guys. We have ten reps of this. We get our ten. One more. I, I'm like, come on. You know, it's like oh. you know, I thought I was done. And, yeah, one more. I do twelve. One more. Thirteen. One. All of a sudden, our rep of ten, our set of ten, turned into seventeen. Turned into twenty-one, and it turned into failure. And he showed us how to get to failure, and that's exactly what I know I needed personally. To where ten many times were too easy. That was just what was on paper, but we're capable, capable, capable beyond paper. What's written. So that's what I learned from him and coach uh, Bill Lewitt. And uh, he's still, he's a college coach now, high school. Uh, actually, just stepped away from being a college coach. He's an amazing high school coach down in New Orleans now. Um, amazing dude, man. Those are some lucky kids who get to have him as a coach, sounds like. Lucky kids. All right, look, they're, they're lucky uh, in the end. I'll put it like that. The you guys may not be feeling very lucky. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> In, in the end, like I, you, know, we all, you, know, you know Bob Knight, right? Mm. The, the, the general mm. is what they used to call him. And we used to call uh, our coach the lieutenant. Mm. And Bob Knight, he used to come to recruit from our, from our school, this college, the junior college that I went to. So he would show up. And when Bob Knight showed up, our coach showed out, man. It was, it was a terrible day of practice. <laughs> we knew he was going to show off. He was the protege. Oh, was like, oh my goodness, you know. If Bob Knight threw chairs, our coach threw tables at that. Oh my gosh. Right, yeah. But he taught us a whole lot, man. That's awesome. What's a daily practice you must do every day? I have to pray, you know. Um, I'm a religious individual and as far as I, I don't enjoy always relying on myself completely. So I wanna I do not to blame shift, but to give away some burdens. You know what I mean? To give away some thoughts that may be heavy on me. Um, I don't want to carry them all. So I pray them away. Put it like that. And uh, say, all right, cool. You know, I, I choose and to trust. I hand them over and I move forward with full peace. Like, all right, I'm good. I'm clear of whatever was weighing me down. I have to, if I don't pray, if I neglect to pray, just because I may wake up and, oh, I may be doing something. I may get my son ready for school. I knew I missed something. I knew that something, I know something is missing. It's like, it's a void. Mm. And that, I'll take two seconds to just pray right there in my head, you know, while I'm driving, you know, I don't have to close my eyes and pray, you know, I, I just take two seconds. God, thank you. You know what I mean? So for me, I would say pray, even if it's literally a two second prayer, I gotta, I gotta do it. I love it. What's one question that you wish that I had asked you and how would you have answered it? It's an amazing question. I've never been asked it before. Um, how do you, how do you how do you level up? How do you persevere? You know, something along those lines. Um, and for me, it is I tell people all the time: just question who you are currently, right? Uh, just really break yourself down. Don't be afraid to, to expose yourself to to yourself. Like, I really feel like a lot of times we don't question ourselves or where we are in life because we're afraid to be revealed to ourselves. Mm. And, you know, honesty and transparency will reveal us to ourselves. And when we're, when we truly know who we are, 
even the hate or the, the disrespect from other people can't tear us down because we know who we truly are. Mm-hmm. And we get affected from the disrespect from other people, the, the hurtful comments, because we haven't taken the time to truly see who we are. You know, we want, we know we have flaws, but we don't want to see them. So we don't dive into who, who we truly are. We, we don't want to look in the mirror. So we start putting on the clothes and the reflections of other people, you know, so that we, when things don't go right, we can blame them. Right. You know, so we look at the Instagrams of the world. We, we try to be like them so that we don't have to look in the mirror and truly be ourselves. And when that side of life don't go right, we say, oh, I knew I shouldn't have been trying to be like them. So, you know, I would just really tell people, if you want to level up, if you want to be better, if you want to get to the next level of who you are, this is not professional, this is not financially, this is just who you are inside and out if you choose, find out who you truly are. Lean into yourself. You know, give yourself some time. That's not being selfish. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the best thing you can do to help other people. You got to know who you are. And once you do that, it's hard not to level up. It's hard not to grow as an individual and just become better. Absolutely. That's one of the things I talk a lot about is when you figure out your core truth, who you are, it empowers you to do so much. Big time, man. That's that, that core truth. That, that's, that's a great way to put it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so true. So true. What does finding peace mean to you? Uh, finding peace, it just means being fulfilled. You know, that, that's something to where I've talking about, you know, even from the stage, letting the people know, you know, I know pursuing happiness is, is a whole movie. To pursue the ha- like, I don't, I don't pursue happiness. Um, it's not a part of my makeup or my equation when I'm pursuing a goal or, you know, a happy end or whatever the case is. I pursue fulfillment. Um, happiness is, it's the end result. And I don't focus on the end of anything. I focus on the journey of what I'm a part of. So for me, it's not a happy thing or happy feat to, to wake up at 4.30 or 5 in the morning when I train. I'm not happy to do that, but I do it because it's fulfilling. I know what it's going to do for me. So the fact that I'm fulfilled by it each day, I do it again the next day, right? I'm not happy about it. I, I, look, I'd be happy to be asleep on that nice, comfortable pillow. But the fact that I pursue fulfillment, I'm able to really enjoy the daily grind. I can enjoy the grind because I, I pursue fulfillment. I can enjoy the process, which most people don't, you know? So it's like the fact that I have the prize during the process, happiness would just be the byproduct of what I'm already doing. So I don't pursue that. Um, peace to me is just being fulfilled um, on the consistent basis. An excellent answer. Appreciate it. I'm glad I, I'm glad I passed that test right there. <laughs> it's what it means for you, man. So of course you passed it. Joel, where can people find you? You can find me. I'm, I'm pretty active on Instagram um, at J Green PLT. That's J A Y Green PLT. Um, active on. I'm on LinkedIn as well. You can just look up Joel Green. I'm on Facebook, uh, but also through my website, uh, Joel B Green. Dot com. Um, initially, we'll be having even pre-orders for the book up there soon. Um, some more details will be coming soon on that. Some really cool features, by the way, Troy. I know that you would enjoy saying uh, we have a book trailer that's being developed. It's an animated book trailer. Book trailer. Uh, if you can envision Toy Story, Moana, things along those lines, Ice Age type of animation. Um, it's been in development for close to five months. 
Wow. So uh, it's a serious process. Uh, it's almost complete. And uh, the, the public's going to really enjoy it. It's going to show my, the timeline of my life. Mm. And from many of the things that we discussed, you know, me going through and growing, growing up in an abandoned home and just going through different difficulties, you're going to see this during this trailer. You're going to see growth throughout this trailer. Uh, so I'm excited to release the book. And again, you'll, you guys will see it through the platforms that I just mentioned, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, and I'm one, I, I love to connect with people, man. That's, my life is about impact. Mm. What I've gone through wasn't for me. It's, it's literally for you. So if I can help in any way, I will get back to you in a message or things like that. So um, I would love to connect with anybody. Mm. Joel, thank you so much for your time today. Right, thank you. Thank you for having me on. You're welcome. You're an inspiration, man. Keep it right. up. I really appreciate that. Look, man, this, this, your platform is an inspiration, man. That's, I, I really appreciate what you do with your show. Um, it's awesome, man. So you, you keep doing what you're doing, man. You're an inspiration. You've been listening to the Finding Peace podcast. If you love the show or want to ask a question, let us know by going to findingpeaceconsulting.com. There, you can also learn about the Finding Peace five-day challenge. Remember to subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss the next episode. And if you are listening on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating. It really does help other people find this podcast more easily. Thank you for spending part of your journey with us. And a special thanks to Johnny Porter for producing the show and A.G. Flux for the new background music. Copyright Finding Peace Consulting.